We good? We better? Awesome. There we go. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And if, um, if you've been able to be a part of us during a Bible study time in our messages this morning, we're, we're continuing the conversation. And this morning, um, as I was going up and down the hallways, I was hearing some tremendous discussion going on. Absolutely. Um, so that's, a, that's amazing. And so when we come together here, we're simply continuing what God has already been doing and God has already been, been speaking. In this part uh, of our study through the Scriptures, we're following the children of Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and to the promised land. But before they can get to the promised land, God has to prepare them and get them ready for the place He has prepared for them. He has to transform them into the people that they once were, into the people that He is creating them to be, changing them from one thing to another. The giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai could be considered the the climax of the book of Exodus, the, the peak. This is the pinnacle. This is what everything has been pointing to, not just seeing what we, what, what we have seen, is God revealing His power through the, through the plagues and through the signs and through uh, the miracle, the crossing of the Red Sea, the providing of the water, all of these things, to now He is getting ready to speak His Word, His revelation whom no eye has seen and no ear had heard. God was getting ready to speak. They had seen His power. Now the Israelites were going to hear the voice of God. And if I'm honest with you this morning, that's the most important voice we need to hear. Not my voice, not the voice of anyone else, not the voice of the world, not the distraction, not the pundits on TV. We need to hear from God. And when you hear from God, then we're called to respond to what He has spoken and follow Him. And here on Mount Sinai, God spoke. Let's see what He did. Look down in Exodus chapter 20. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray together. Dear God, we come before you now, your people, under your word. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name and by his name, we pray. Amen. In this passage, God gives to the Israelites something they had they had never had before. God made his will and his righteous standard completely clear to them. In giving the Ten Commandments, sometimes we call it the perfect ten, laid out. How many fingers do you have? Ten. It would be real easy to learn. Here's the ten. And God lays it out right for us. And if we're not careful, we'll miss... The setup to the whole giving of the Ten Commandments is not just about the the laws and giving of the laws, but there's a reason that God gives this to them. And number one this morning, if you're taking notes, God's law is based upon His character. God's law is based upon His character. It's very important. And God spoke, verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He sets up, before he even gives them the law, he doesn't jump right into it. He tells them why he can give them the law and how he is going to give them the law. He says first, he says, I am the Lord. He reveals his identity. That's his identity. Uh, And here, if you look in, in your scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, In your English translations, whenever you see LORD in all caps, what does that mean? That means it's the divine name, Yahweh, not just the generic word for God. This is God's covenant name with His people. God is revealing Himself and revealing His word and revealing His will based upon who who He is. I'm the LORD. I'm God is who He's saying. I am God. I am Uh, the God of the universe. And it's based upon my character and who I am that I'm giving you these laws. Now, in a a true democracy, okay, how are laws laws decided and based? They're decided and based upon the will of the people. Well, the will and the people, their wills change over time. So what does that mean the laws do. They change over time based upon what is is acceptable to to the people. In a a dictatorship, on the other end, in in a dictatorship, you have a dictatorship, how are the laws based? Well, how are they based? They're based upon keeping the dictator in power, okay? So why would those laws change over time? Those laws may change 
because the dictator may decide, I need to change the laws to what? To keep me in power. In both extremes, extremes of society and, and ways of governance between a true democracy, a full democracy, and a full autocratic dictatorship, even in, in both of those ways, the laws can ebb and flow and change with time. But not so with God. You see, God's laws are not based on what's acceptable in the moment. God's laws are based upon His character. And Scripture is very clear that God's character does not change. He is perfect as God, as the ultimate being in the universe. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, I love this, Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. If God did change, we would be goners. That's sort of the, the translation of that. Praise God, He doesn't change. Because we would have no hope. Praise God, He does not change. Because that means there is something fixed in the universe. <laughs> we don't have to worry. Is, man, is, is God going to get tired of us? Is God going to... Could one day... I mean, and God has the power to do this. God can make up, down, and down, up if He wanted to. He totally has all the power to do that. And yet He does not change in His character, which means... When he tells us something, when he shows us his will or shows us his way, it means we can actually build our lives upon that because that will never change. That is sure. And we can trust him because he is perfectly good and perfectly loving and perfectly righteous and perfectly just. We can trust that his standard that he does lay out, his laws that he does lay out, we can trust them. Because we know that not only is He holy, but He is completely loving and gracious. Which means, His law that He gives on Mount Sinai and gives in His Word is something which is for our good and for His glory, no matter how painful or no matter how difficult it, it may be for us to understand or try to put into practice for a life that ultimately it's for our good. God's law is based upon His character. Number one, He gives His identity. I am the Lord. But secondly, He says, I am the Lord, your God. This is awesome. Now think about, think about this. Um, our kid, I've mentioned this before, so you're just going to get some Barney Fife references because we're watching the Andy Griffith show right now. Like from the beginning. On Netflix. So we, sometimes we can get three or four episodes. So Barney comes in one day. It's so awesome. And some of y'all, some of y'all, y'all, I mean, you're laughing because you watched it when it first came on. You, you've had Barney your whole life. Here at the Rock. You remember that one? Goodness. Obey. Rule number one. What's rule number one? Obey all rules. That's, I mean, that's so good. Barney lays it down. 
He's awesome. He's hilarious. Just look at the man. He looks funny. But he lays it down. He's laying down the rules of the rock without any relationship. It's just what? He's the man with the bullet. The bullet. Right here, right? There's no relationship. There's rules without relationship just based on he has the authority and he has the bullet and the gun. Then we come to God, who is the creator of the universe. He's created everything. He's created all of us. He is the sovereign power in the universe. He has total control over everything. He could, just based upon his power, set any rules he wants with complete disregard for us. Why? Because he is God. And yet before he gives his rules, before he gives his law, before he gives his righteous standard. He says, I am the Lord. He gives his name, which is awesome. I am the Lord, your God. Which means these laws are not only coming out of his character and who he is, but it's coming out of his relationship with us, his care for us, his love for us as his people. In the same way that parents... We give our children rules, not because we just want to run their lives, or because because we have the car keys and we make the, the check and we pay the bills. But we have rules with our children because they are our children and we love them. And they're for their good. We don't want our children running in the street. Why? Because we know how people drive here. (laughs) Yeah, they hit the gas first and they look later. I watch it all the time right out here. Absolutely. This is the most dangerous intersection in all of Camden, right here. I'm not saying I'm one of those. (laughs) But we have rules built out of a relationship, and God is giving, he's laying out these Ten Commandments based on his character, it's flowing out of his character, who he is, completely perfect, completely loving, completely holy, and out of his love for us and his relationship, I am the Lord, your God, and then he shows us who brought you out of Egypt. Look at that. That shows us It's not just about, his laws aren't just about his identity. It's not just about our relationship with him, but it's about redemption. We already talked about God. God has all the authority to do whatever he wants. He could lay out whatever laws he wanted to. And for that reason alone, as your creator... He has all the authority he needs to lay down whatever standard for your life. Right? He does. And yet, here in this passage, God doesn't pull that card. He doesn't pull the, I made you, therefore I can tell you what to do card. What does he say? He he says here, because I bought you, because I paid the price for you, Therefore, 
Here's the perfect ten. And for the Israelites, it, it was being bought out of slavery to the Pharaoh in Egypt and being set apart as, as God's chosen people. And he says, okay, I've, I bought you literally out of Pharaoh. I mean, you guys really did nothing on your own to deserve that. You did nothing on your own to earn that. All you did was follow me. I did all the work. I did all the plagues. I, I did all the miracles crossing the Red Sea. I've done all of that. I did all that, God says. So I, I own you once for creating you, and you left me and became slaves. And as far as we know, the Israelites, when, before Moses shows back up, they weren't worshiping God. As far as we know, they weren't following after him. This is like a revival that had to happen. And he says, I've paid for you twice. I made you and I bought you back. And now I'm laying this down. Beautiful picture of Christ. See, what God is doing in the Israelites in the Old Testament is pointing to ultimately the reason Christ had to come. The reason Christ had to come was because we were all sinners. We're all rebelling against God. We're all broken in our fellowship with Him. We were all condemned to death. For the wages of sin is just misery. The wages of sin is death. And Christ comes, as Paul talks about being slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness, and we're all born slaves to sin, and Christ comes, and His death, He broke the chains. The chains are broken. As we come to Him in, in faith and repentance, as we believe and turn from our own direction and go to follow, fixing our eyes on Him and following Him, and we become free. Chains are gone. He bought us with His blood. He made us and He bought us. Doubly, He deserves our what? Our allegiance, our, wor- our worth, everything about us, our praise, everything. And so don't, we can't miss the setup to the Ten Commandments. The setup is, these laws are based on God and who He is. They're based upon His name. They're based upon His character. They're based upon His identity. They're based upon the fact that He, has a, he loves us and has a relationship, desires a relationship with us. And because He paid for us, in the Old Testament, was it through Egypt? In the New Testament, it's on the cross. Therefore, then he can lay out his righteous standard before us. You have to have the setup. So number two, as we jump into the Ten Commandments then, God's law calls us to worship him alone. Thou shalt have, how many other gods? No other gods before me. And here I, I kind of, I kind of go with the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible, the uh, hardcore Southern Baptist Bible. Um, No other gods besides me. That we're to have no other God in our life. Not just God is first and then we have other gods in our life. But He's it. We clear the shelf off 
He's the only God in our life. As we look at this passage, this stands out because the Israelites had just spent 400 years in Egypt, a polytheistic culture. In fact, every culture at the time was polytheistic. They worshipped many gods. The Egyptians had dozens of gods, and then later they even formed like mystery cults and religions, all, all kinds of other things flow out of that. And God says, none of that is to be worshipped. Worship me alone. The truth is we all worship something or someone. We may not have little carved statues at home, but we all worship something. We, we actually, God's been dealing with us for this in, in the, for the last couple of weeks. We could, we could be worshiping a person. We could, we could be worshiping things or material possessions. We could be worshiping... We can, make, um, we can make family a God in our life. If family comes above Him, we can, make a, we can take a good thing and make it into a bad thing by placing it above God. We can make money a God if that's who we're chasing after. We can make success a God if that's our fame, uh, how many Facebook followers you have or friends or whatever. We can, well, all those things, fashions, whatever. We can make other things God in our life. And God is saying, none of those things matter. No other gods. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and soul and might. Question is, what are, what are we putting above him? This, is, this really is about our priority and our focus. Is our focus on God and God alone, or is our focus on man or man's things or man's world or man, whatever is important at the time? He's saying, Seek me first, and all these things will be added unto you. Where have you ordered your life? Here, here's, an, here's, another, here's another way to think. Do I, have a, do I have a problem here? Because if you think about it, is there anything in your life that if today was ripped away, you couldn't function? Like if... If God took your fill-in-the-blank, a person, if God took a thing, if God took your house away, if God took your job away, could you still, would you still worship God? Would you still follow Him? If, if there's anything in your life that was taken away today, and it would cause you to walk away from God, God's not, the true God is not your, your God alone. That thing is. That's tough, isn't it? He says we're to worship Him alone, but secondly, He calls us, or third, here, God calls us to worship Him in spirit. Verse 4 is about, you shall, have, you shall not make yourself a carved image of any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below. Here, 
you know, the, in the time frame, every culture had multiple idols and each, you know, each nation had a national idol. Um, and even in Egypt, you, you start with the big statues. Each city had their own idol. So each city might have a, have a temple and have its own idol. Then each family, you would have your own idols, and you might worship the national idol, the idol of your city. You'd also, if you worked in a particular trade, if you were a plumber or an electrician or whatever you were, each trade had its own idol or deity that they worshiped, and so you'd have that idol. And then as a family, you'd have your own family, personal family idols. Whoever your great-great-grandpa, he went on a trip one time and got this really cool idol, and that became his idol, and that's your family idol. And then you'd also sack on top of that, uh, you would worship your ancestors. And so you would even have little idols made up of grandma and grandpa, and you would, you would pray to them because after they died, then they became spiritual beings and they could do things for you, grant, grant you some wishes or something like that. And God comes, God comes before the Israelites and every other culture dealt with this. They took created things, wood and stone, and fashioned forms for their gods out of them. And Yahweh shows up with the Israelites and said, you better not make an image of me or any kind of image and bow down and worship it. Why was it so important for God to tell the Israelites not to worship him out of a form? Because a form is in one spot and in one space, and is a form is made in we make in our image or the image we want it to be. The God of the universe cannot be contained by an image. The God of the universe, He is present everywhere, all the time. He cannot be contained. To worship Him means He is transcendent above all and over all. And when our eyes are focused on an image, even, even well-meaning Christians throughout history have said, well, I'll, I'll make an image of God to help me worship Him. And in the medieval times, this was particularly relevant when we got into stained glass and, and the cathedrals in Europe that would put the stained glass and they would have images of Christ and the apostles and what Christ did. And, and then they would say, well, we'll, have, we'll make statues and put statues to Mary and put statues of Jesus on the cross. And, and, and probably, and it started out of a good reason. Many people were illiterate. They couldn't, they didn't have access to the scriptures. They couldn't read the scriptures. And, and the idea is, well, well, we'll make these images to tell the story and to point people to God and what, it didn't take very long for what to happen. Instead of worshiping the God they represent, what are people worshiping? The image. It kind of takes up sort of magic of its own or a life of its own. And well-meaning people then become idolaters. And God says, no, I want you to worship. I don't want you to worship. You can't contain me in a thing. I want you to worship me. And Jesus comes along and he says, we are to worship him how? In spirit 
and in truth. It's not about this mountain. He tells the woman at the well, it's not about this mountain or this mountain that's holy or whatever your tradition is, but it's a worshiping Him in spirit, the spirit that His spirit that is residing in you as you come to follow Him, communing with His spirit and spirit and in truth. Many times we can violate this because we can make things more important than the God of the thing. This is a beautiful pulpit. I've been, uh, uh, when my first, uh, my first church, I had to help my poor Pentecostal brother move because he had the audacity, they had, they had an old pulpit, and he had the audacity to replace the pulpit. And the old lady in the church replaced him. And the very next Sunday, the very next Sunday, the brand new pulpit he had, he had put in there was gone, and they dragged the old thing back out. What's the idol? This thing which, I tell you, it's, function, it's a piece of furniture, y'all. I, I grew up selling furniture. It's furniture. It's to help the preacher proclaim the Word of God. It's not, there is nothing sacred about this. It's God's Word that's sacred. Amen? Absolutely. This is wood. This is furniture. It's, it's Baptist churches too. We will stick a in memory of emblem on something. That's the kiss of death. I don't know if we have any of those things around here. I really haven't. I really don't even notice. But if you stick in memory of, like a little bronze plaque on that, you can never get rid of it. It may be a hundred years old. It may be rotting or whatever. You don't even, probably even remember why you got it, but guess what? You, you can't. You can't get rid of it. Tracy's, Tracy could probably tell me all the things in here that have, have the little plaques on them. Sometimes we can make things into idols. We can make places into idols. We can, we can make a place into an idol when it's more important than God. I, I'll tell you. The something could happen, and this whole campus could burn to the ground. Lightning could strike this thing. We've already had hail. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next? We've got cold air coming out of things. You know, we don't know next time. Sometimes I feel like the ceilings can cave in on Mark and his office. I don't know. Lightning could strike this place and burn the entire thing to the ground. What would happen to Hermitage Baptist Church? Who is Hermitage Baptist Church? The people are Hermitage Baptist Church. I told, her, I told the boys I was leading a small group last weekend, I said the church could burn to the ground and Hermitage Baptist Church would still be Hermitage Baptist Church. We'd just have to meet somewhere else. We'd have to find somewhere else to bundle up and and get together. (laughs) This church, I was going back and reading some things, this church started in the home of the pastor, the very first pastor. It may have to go back to meeting in the home of the very first pastor. It may have to go back to meeting in the the pastor's home one day if if something were to happen. But if, 
If something happened and all this property was gone, the thing, the walls fell down, and he said, oh, Hermitage Baptist Church is destroyed. Guess what's your God? Buildings. A structure. It's a structure, and it's, it's a place we've set apart to worship God. We don't do anything else here but to worship Him and help people come to Him, and, and that's, that's proper. And we should, we should honor this place, and we should fix it up as best we can and get things working and, and all that, and that's good. But I'm telling you, if this place becomes an idol, do you know what God told the Israelite kings over and over to do when there were idols? What, what were they supposed to do? Cast them down. Please don't make me cast down this building or anything in it. Let's just get our eyes on Jesus and worship Him. The next thing He tells us in His Word is we worship God through our speech. Look in verse 7. He says, You shall not take the the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, growing up, I always thought this meant you're not supposed to cuss. You know, you know the old saying, you don't, I don't smoke, cuss, or chew, or, or go with girls that do. That was Amy's list I had to check off before we could date. Do you cuss? No. Do you smoke? No. Do you chew? Okay. No, I can't do that. We can go out. I, I used to think that's all that meant, but really, this means a whole lot more. And I think you got into this in your Bible study there was a really helpful application Trevin Wax puts in there. It was in your leader's guide in the, leader, in the teacher book. Um, he talks about there's three ways we can we violate this command. When we use God's name flippantly, and this includes cursing or just like slip of the mouth, you know, we just said, oh Lord, or oh Jesus, or whatever. When we're just using his name just even carelessly. Uh, secondly, when we, we violate this when we speak uh, untruthfully about God and who He is or what He's done. Or, or we like to say, well, God, God's will is this when it's contrary to the worst, just what you believe it is. We violate this when we, when we speak hypocritically. That means when we claim the name of Christ and yet our lives are something completely different. Like we like to say we're a Christian, but then... We, don't, we live like the world or like the devil the rest of the week. I'm telling you, the world has a heyday with Christians who live like this, who claim Christ but don't possess Christ in their lives, don't know what they're talking about, don't know who they're talking about. Number five, we worship God by honoring the Sabbath. It says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Here he goes, he goes how this, the institution of the Sabbath goes back to creation. You know, the God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. That's right. Did God need to rest? No, he's got, he, I mean, he never, he never gets tired, he never gets sleepy, he never runs out of gas and all that. So why did God rest after six days of creation? Was it for his benefit or for hours. It was for our blessing that he created the Sabbath. I mean, otherwise, if God didn't set up the, the Sabbath, you think you work a lot now, just imagine without a Sabbath. 
nonstop. No time for rest, physically, emotionally, spiritually. The purpose of the Sabbath was really two main things. We got into this this morning. But two main things. It's for worship, to focus on God. And it is to cease from work, like just physical recharging. You can go and go and go. What do they call it when you go and 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 go? Workaholic. What's eventually going to happen to you? You're going to die. In 2015, I told my wife, they are digging me a six-foot hole out here when they're digging this foundation. They're just making me a spot because this is about to kill me and just put me in it and pour the semen over me when I'm done. In, in the great cathedrals in Europe, there, there actually are people buried in the floors and in the walls. And just, just add me a hole out there, right out there, and just put me in it because it's going to be the death of me. Some days, I, I, and last year, I was so stressed out. Ed's laughing because he knows. He's, he'd stop by and see me on some of those days, you know, and, and, and everything. And, um, you know, you get to a point where physically you're run completely out Emotionally, you're done, and spiritually, your, your focus is on everything else other than the God who created you and who is sustaining you right now. And even as your pastor, I'll, I'll just be, just to be transparent with you, we're not, as pastors, we're not immune to this just because we're pastors. We can get our eyes off of God and His rightful place in our life and putting Him first. And I, I found myself... I found myself trying to, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning. This is just me. I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'll come to work and go to my office, and I'm going to, I'll do my quiet time and spend time with God in my office. How well do you think that worked out last year? Amy's shaking her head. She knows. Before I'd even make it to my office, I'd get stopped in the parking lot, There's phone calls, emails, text messages. Somebody ended up in the hospital or this or that. And my heart is there and my mind is here and I'm running this direction, this direction, this direction, this direction. And then Mark's calling me because the heat's not working. I mean, just crazy stuff. It's happening. Like I'm a heat and air man. I did not, that's not in seminary. That's not a class in seminary, Mark. That is not a class. They teach the basics of heating and air. And I get to the end of the day, and I've done all these ministry things, good things. I'm supposed to do, keep this place going and doing all the things. I get to the end of the day, and I hadn't really stopped and spent time with God. And one day would turn to two, to three, to four, to five. I'm planning sermons and Bible studies and leading prayer times. I don't know what a day off is because there's always something that needs to happen up here on the weekend or someone needs in or there's something this or that or something needs to be done. It's got to be done. And I just do it. Say, okay, I'm just going to do it and get it done. I drove right up to the edge of the cliff. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it's a long way down. I freaked my dad out. He took me to the Grand Canyon. And I, I was, I mean, I was a good foot off the edge. He felt like I was like in it. Oh, yeah. He didn't like heights either. 
But I got, I got close to the edge of where I was about to burn out. I was about to turn into one of those statistics where guys go when you're physically, emotionally, and spiritually done. And um, right at the end of the year, we had Christmas. And we had Miss Doris going in the hospital. And the doctor's telling her she wasn't telling her family she wasn't going to live. Had Bill Ayler, who was dying. One of my, I mean, my buddies up here during the week and on the mission trip. Had Miss Janet who was close, I knew then, I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be long, and she was going to be with Jesus. And I looked at Mark, I said, I can't handle this. This is tearing me up. On top of everything else. And um, the week here, the week between Christmas and New Year's is, is really quiet. For whatever reason, every year it's like that. It's not a whole lot happens. Um, I don't know if y'all are getting over Christmas and you're eating your, you know, cabbage and peas and all whatever, black-eyed, whatever y'all eat. And I just got alone with God. And the God, I can't live like this. I can't continue. I can't, I can't do 2016 like I did 2015. If I try to do 2016 like I did 2015, I will be in the ground. I will be toast. And I heard him tell me. I, I speak to me. I just got, got alone with him and my Bible. And I said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me if this building does not ever get finished? <laughs> Will you love me? Will you love me if the heat never comes back on? Do you love me? Do you love me if you show up to the office one day and your stuff is sitting in boxes out in the parking lot? And they've changed the locks and hadn't told you. Do you love me? And I had to say, I had to realize I wasn't showing him that I loved him more than anything else. I loved being a pastor more than being his child and I was running from the either the chasing a success or the fear of failure more than I was focused on him and I was breaking the Sabbath I was breaking every one of these first commandments and how I was spending my time and setting my priorities. God gave us ten simple. Kids can learn ten things on your hands. 
And really, it all boils down to number one. To have no other gods. To put Him first. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And order your life around Him. Don't let anything come between you and Him. If it is, it's an idol. Get rid of it. Put Him first. And guess what? God could have just given us that first commandment. He could have just given us one. Guess what most of us can't ever do? We can't keep the first one. We may like to focus on the last six and say, well, I got that down. I can check all these off. And we're going to get to those next week and we really... We're really not checking those off as good as we think we are, but we can't get out of the first one. A few weeks ago, this altar was full of people who said, I want to start this year with the Lord. And we're a few weeks in already. How are you doing with that? Is God in the place He needs to be in your life? I'll tell you, if you're not happy with how 2015 went, or maybe you're not happy with where you're at right now, I want to ask you the question, is God first in your life? Because He can't transform you if He's not first. He can't take over if you haven't let Him. He's not going to take the keys from you. You've got to hand Him the keys. Say, here God, you drive, you do it. And you've got to make that decision not just once for your life, but you've got to make that decision. You've got to get up each morning and tell yourself and preach to yourself and remind yourself, God, I'm placing you first in my life today. You set the agenda. You're my identity. You're my hope. You're my past. You're my present. You're my future. You put him first, he can start to work in your life. You put, for, you, you put him first in your family and how you lead your family, and then he can start transforming your family because I know you're looking at me, you're going, my family's messed up. Pastor, you don't know. Yes, I do know. I know some of your families. You're messed up. My family's messed up too. But you want to know how to put your family together? Lead your family to put God first instead of putting him at the end, at the bottom, when you've done everything else you can possibly do, if there's any time left over. You want to wonder, wonder why our church is messed up? Well, we're messed up because we have people in it. We need to be putting God first. You want to know why our community and why our country is messed up? It's not because of political parties. It's not because of those people. It's because we, me, and you aren't putting God first. It's not about them. Lost people are acting like lost people. That's what they're supposed to do. Our country's messed up because we're not being salt and light. Because we're not fully in love with Jesus. And the world looks at us and says, why would I want that? Amen. You claim Christ, but there's absolutely no difference in how you live and how I live. I might as well live my way and have some fun while I'm doing it. Amen? Amen. 
It starts with you and me before God. And surrendering our lives to Him. We're going to have a time of invitation. I don't care if you come forward, if you sit in your seat, if you stand. You need to be alone with God right now. In your heart. And say, God, speak to me. Where are the idols in my life? Where are the things in my life that I've let become more important than you? or more? Let's cast those idols down. Those distractions down. And let's focus on Him. Right now as we, as we have this time of invitation, Mark, come and lead us. Let's stand together as we pray. Dear Lord, we, we come before you and we recognize our own sin and our own weakness and our own propensity to be distracted by so many different things. We recognize, Lord, even in our own heart and lives and where we, we put other things in front of you. Lord, I pray that each person here, Lord, that we would seek your forgiveness. And Lord, seek your strength to turn from those things and turn to you and place you first right now. And Lord, the strength to tomorrow morning to make that decision again to follow you and to focus on you and again and again and help us to order our days and help us to order ourselves and help us to order our families. we may glorify you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. We give this time of invitation to you, Lord. Amen.